This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. First Bible reading comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Hear the word of the Lord. And the second reading is from John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him 
because his hour had not yet come. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, in the written word and through the spoken word, help us to encounter your living word, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. The, uh, the summary of the sermon is in the, uh, the handout and will also hopefully come on the screen. Um, the value of it being in the handout is you can read ahead and you get the whole sermon and if five minutes is your limit for listening to sermons, you can actually get it all done. Great advantage. Do you know someone who is regularly talking about how good he is, his smart decisions, his good taste, his interesting adventures, his impressive friends, his successful business, his great golf shots, or his fascinating children? We have sayings about such blowhards. He is singing his own. He has tickets on. He's blowing his own. He's over-impressed with his own. He is over-impressed with his self-importance. Now, General Montgomery was the leader. Is that a little bit too loud? I'm getting, I'm getting an echo. Can you just... I'm just getting echo up the front, that's right. General Montgomery was the leader of the British forces in World War II and he was described as, quote, the foremost self-publicist of his age. And he's recorded as having once said with astonishing condescension, consider what the Lord said to Moses. And I think he was right. Brilliant. Such people regularly turn us off. Often we even doubt the truth of their bragging stories and so we sometimes end up trying to avoid them. The more they praise themselves, the more we dismiss them. Is that true of your experience of self-promoters? I suspect yes. Well then, why do we treat Jesus differently? Because Jesus sure talked about himself in the most exalted terms. For instance, in today's reading, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Verse 16, my judgment is valid. And elsewhere, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. The Father and I are one. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to myself. No one comes to the Father except through me. And perhaps the most dramatic example of all his self-promotion, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham had been dead for nearly 2,000 years when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. I am has a double meaning. Jesus is not only saying that he existed before Abraham, but as I am is the name that God told the Hebrews to call him, when Jesus used it about himself, he's putting himself right on God's level. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, the reaction of those who were listening to him, then they picked up stones to stone him. It could not be more clear. They knew exactly what he was claiming. 
which was to be a part of God. Now, compared to Jesus, General Montgomery was a shrinking violet, a model of self-effacing humility. Jesus' promotion of himself is truly breathtaking. It's why the chief priests were outraged and why they had put him to death. His blasphemy could not have been more outrageous. Well, then how come his disciples, who knew him inside out, were not turned off, but rather believed every claim he made? A couple of generations ago, a famous surgeon in England, a Mr Gabriel, broke a very serious rule when he operated on his own mother. When defending his action before the British Medical Association, he asked, why should his mother be denied the very best treatment that was available? And he was actually excused. <laughs> you cannot get away with blowing your own trumpet unless your actions match your claims. In the world of boxing, Muhammad Ali is hero worshipped like no other, especially across the United States, despite having black skin. And he's especially, despite his most famous and often repeated saying, I am the greatest. How come he could get away with such shameless self-promotion? Well, because he was the greatest. He won 56 of his 61 professional fights, many of them being world heavyweight championship contests against the hardest punchers alive. Muhammad Ali got away with declaring, I am the greatest, because every single sporting commentator agreed. He was the greatest. He lived up to it. So, conclusion. Outrageous claims will be accepted, but only when backed up with an overwhelming demonstration of their truth. The English surgeon had it. His surgery was the best, and he was believed, even by the BMA. Muhammad Ali had it. He defeated all his competitors, and he was believed. Jesus also had it, and was believed. Now, the Pharisees, of course, certainly had a point in verse 13 in today's Gospel reading where they said, you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. But then Jesus replied, well, my other witness is the Father. And Jesus went on to say, my Father is the one who glorifies me. Now, what could he mean? Well, he means... Don't just take my word for it. Use your eyes. Read the signs. That is, the miracles, these constant succession of hopelessly ill people being instantly healed. When some antagonists demanded, well, if you, are, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Then Jesus answered, Oh, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good works, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Oh, don't believe me unless I do the works of the Father. But if I do them, believe the works.' 
and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. When you stop and think about it, how else could Jesus' claims be tested? Well, of course, in the end, of course, uh, it was the resurrection that wiped away his disciples' doubts. The resurrection even won over Jesus' brother James. So James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. It was the resurrection that won over Paul. So he pivoted from being the church's main persecutor into being the church's main missionary. But before the resurrection, it was mainly Jesus' miracles that inspired in him, inspired belief in him. But he also had the backing of the only prophet of that time, and he had John the Baptist, and he had the backing of his own wisdom, and he had the backing of his own character. And I'll return to each of those uh, in a few minutes. But first, how come not everyone believed the overpowering evidence of these healings? In Matthew chapter 12, we read, They brought him a man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could talk and see. And the people were astonished. Could this be the son of David? But the Pharisees said, Art oh, only by the prince of demons that this fellow drives out demons. You see, the healings could not be denied. And Jesus' opponents needed to find some explanation of the healings. But this was the best that they could do, to say that he did it with the devil's help. And Jesus fended it off with ease, saying, Do you think the devil's stupid? Do you really think he would voluntarily undo his hard work of ruining someone's life? Jesus could have added, Why would the devil bother if I was, as you say, just a self-deluded fool? Ordinary people, not being driven by jealousy or by pride in their own achievements, latched on to who Jesus was and very easily believed. In Matthew 9, we read some of them saying, wow, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And in Mark, some said, what is this? He even gives orders to unclean spirits and they obey him. And in John, we read, some said, this man's not from God, he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? And there was a man who'd been given his sight by Jesus said, he's a prophet, but the Pharisees said to him, we know this man is a sinner. And the man who got his sight back said, well, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. You don't, you don't know where he comes from, but he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. On another occasion, many of the crowd said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? And another place, the Jews were divided again. Many said, he's raving mad. But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of a man born blind? And Jesus expected people to believe that he was from God because of his healings, his signs, his miracles. 
A second reason why ordinary people happily accepted Jesus' words about himself was the testimony of John the Baptist. Israel had not had a prophet for several centuries till John appeared. Huge crowds flocked to him beside the Jordan River, convinced that God had sent him as a prophet, bringing a special message. Part of his message was that someone was coming who was far more important than John himself. And then, after baptising Jesus, John said, I saw the Spirit come down and remain on him. I testify that this is God's chosen one. He is the Lamb of God. The Baptist's role was to prepare the way for Jesus and he did it well. By the time Jesus went public, there were many keen to listen to his words since John had got them thinking about their spiritual health and then pointed them to Jesus. Without this, Jesus' miracles may even have been a hindrance with people so agog over the miracles that they were not listening to his message. As it was, the day after he had fed 5,000 people with one boy's lunch, Jesus lamented that the crowd had come back the next day not to listen to him but to get another free meal. The third reason, they also believed in him and his claims to be divine because of the things that he said inspired them and moved them and enlightened them. Peter said to him, you have the words of eternal life. We've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And in St Mark's Gospel we read, the people in the Capernaum synagogue were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Crowds of Galilean workers on several occasions just took the day off with no preparation on their behalf. They had behalf, they had no food with them or anything like that, just to listen to him teach. Crowds of several thousands. For the masses, what Jesus said was exactly what they imagined the messenger from God would speak. Over and over he was asked, are you the Messiah? Because who else could possibly do what he was doing and say what he was saying? And the fourth compelling reason for the belief that Jesus was indeed the Son of God was his behaviour, his attitude, his character. Jewish people in Jesus' day had a strong sense of God's holiness. On the whole, the previous 500 years, the Jews had taken their religious duties very seriously, unlike in all the centuries before, because now they were frightened that God would punish them again, like when Jerusalem was obliterated. Sacrifices for forgiveness of sins were regular and were serious. The ordinary people had a healthy respect for the need to be forgiven for their failures to keep in touch with God. And St Mark records, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to John the Baptist. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. Doing what? Confessing their sins. 
Now, this effort to go to the Jordan River to confess their sins involved a major hike, Jerusalem down to the Jordan and then back up the mountain to Jerusalem, similar in distance and gradient to that between Katoomba and Penrith. It was not a picnic. It was not a stroll. It was a major effort. Jewish people had active consciences and took significant steps to be forgiven through their sacrifices. And then along came Jesus and he seriously upped the ante. I mean, if they were aware of being sinners before listening to Jesus, imagine what they were after they'd heard him say things like this. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hell. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Let your giving be in secret. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, Jesus made it clear that sin is not just in our actions, but primarily it is in our hearts. And this was such a central part of all that he talked about. And he saw in our hearts there was darkness. That's what he saw in us. But for himself, wonder of wonders, there was no personal awareness of sin. To his accusers, he said, I always do what pleases my father. And he followed it up with this challenge. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? All of this brings me to the strong conclusion that at least 11 of his 12 disciples were happy with the certainty that Jesus was a man without sin. And that is extraordinary. Now, this was first pointed out to me 60 years ago at a time when three groups of my acquaintances had all hired camper vans in teams of four and gone touring round Europe. In each of the three cases, the planned two or three months ended in two or three weeks. Really good friends, they certainly were, but living in such closeness, 24 hours every day, sharing financially and all their decisions of what they do and where and when, had brought such terrible tension that they had to break up. When I mentioned to this uh, to some old hands that I was talking to later on, they simply said, well, what did you expect? It was apparently a very common story. The conclusion? Constant closeness guarantees that there are no character secrets. Now, Jesus' disciples lived in that very same closeness to him, sharing the same purse, not for three weeks or for three months, but for three years. In that time, every one of them could not help but get to know everyone else's foibles and flaws and failures. Yet their confident claim was that Jesus is in fact the sinless son of God. His character 
through easy days and hard, especially on the cross, they could see was amazingly totally free from foible or flaw or failure. These normal Jewish men, knowing a lot about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of people, and knowing Jesus inside out, were bursting to tell the world that Jesus is the sinless Son of God. Those who knew Jesus best came to the amazing conclusion that he was the sinless Son of God because of the many, many undoubted miracles because of the testimony of the prophet John the Baptist, because of the wise, penetrating uniqueness of his teaching, and maybe most of all, because of the otherworldly purity of his character under pressure all day, every day, no matter what. Well, are you with those disciples? Well then, deliberately live for him day by day? Are you doubtful even a bit? Then do come and talk about it because Jesus thinks that he's given you enough reasons. So do come and explore them with us because you deserve and you need to have that confidence that Jesus indeed is the sinless Son of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.